Over the Ball is brought to you by Soccer America. Soccer America, the soccer paper of record. Go to SoccerAmerica.com and sign up for your subscription today. And by Nella from Fitbiomics. A Harvard doctor has found the probiotic strain that is found in most world-class athletes. Not all probiotics are the same. And by FundraiseForYou.net. FundraiseForYou.net provides solutions to coaches and athletic organizations that need to raise money for their programs. More information on all our sponsors at OverTheBall.com slash sponsors. Hey, this is Bob Lee, and you're listening to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn, the world's game from an American perspective. Hello, everyone. Kevin Flynn here, and welcome to a special edition of Over the Ball. Uh, The United States women's national team have settled their lawsuit, their class action equal pay lawsuit against U.S. Soccer Federation for a total of $24 million. The last uh, the two sides announced in a court filing on Tuesday, which is yesterday. We're recording this on a Wednesday. In settling the suit, the players will receive a lump sum payment of $22 million. Uh, The amount will be distributed as proposed by the U.S. uh, women's national team players and approved by a district court. Um, They will also pay an additional $2 million um, into an account to benefit U.S. women national team players in their post-career goals and charitable efforts related to women's and girls' soccer. Each player will be able to apply for fifty grand from this fund. Who wins, who loses, ultimately remains to be seen. Um, I think there's a lot of, on both sides of the coin here, uh, a lot of moving parts, a lot of information, a lot of disinformation, and a whole lot of confusion about what was at stake with these negotiations. So here to help explain it all, as he has done so in the past so eloquently, is a man who is uniquely qualified to weigh in on all of this. Professor Stephen Bank is the professor of business law at UCLA, UCLA School of Law. Um, he, lucky for us, is a frequent commentator on soccer law issues, applying his business and tax experience in regard to legal affairs. He explores these issues in depth in his course on international and comparative sports law, as well as his perspectives seminar, Law, Lawyering, and the Beautiful Game, which you're just absolutely perfect. The perfect dude to talk to today. Professor Bank, welcome back to Over the Ball. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me, Kevin. So I, I did that little preamble there to sort of, you know, s- to, to state what the settlement was. I think it surprised a lot of people because I think the last time we had talked, you had said that the legal case did not seem to be that strong. And so this has surprised lots of people. Um, seems like more of an emotional settlement, perhaps, um, than a legal one. Uh, what are your thoughts on, on what's come of this? Well, let's just put put this all in perspective. When the women first filed an EEOC complaint, it was after originally going, and I think it was to Good Morning America, to mm-hmm. you know, go, go to the press, like from the very beginning, to put pressure on U.S. soccer as part of negotiations for a CBA, a collective bargaining agreement, uh, and, you know, the concerns about equal pay. And I remember at the very beginning, thinking that the litigation was going to be challenging because they have a difficult case. It's quite unusual to have um, a single employer with two unions, uh, totally different structures of pay, all those things. Um, And I thought, well, you know, they're using the legal case uh, to provide political pressure, public relations pressure on the Federation to kind of act accordingly to to, to kind of uh, uh, give into some of their demands. Right. So when you ask now, what's, you know, how did this happen? One way to think about it is that, uh, yeah, the, the, the U.S. soccer won in, at summary judgment at the district court. They were on appeal. Uh, 
the appeal could have won, but an appeal would have merely been uh, to send it back to the district court. So, you know, it's not exactly like it's a win. It could have been, you know, a, a, a interim victory uh, on the road to a defeat, or it could have been a, a, um, a victory on the road to ultimate winning, but it would have been like a year and a half later, maybe. So, mm-hmm. Um, they were in a tough spot. Normally, if you're counseling your client who's lost at the district court on an appeal, you got to be very measured about it. And you got to say, look, you've already lost before one judge. So we're hoping you're going to get three different judges. who are going to see it entirely differently and overturn that case. But you're, you know, there's a chance you're going to lose. So usually you're feeling pretty good if you're the winner at the lower court on an appeal. And so people are saying, well, why, why did U.S. soccer settle? And, and that's where you go back to the original issue, which is U.S. soccer is under much more political pressure than legal pressure in this case, right? So it's not about, uh, wow, they were going to lose the case. They might have, um, you know, it's certainly possible. But I think the political pressure and the desire to get this off the books, to move forward and talk about soccer and not about soccer law, I I know that we're all excited to do that, but not everybody really wants to talk endlessly about soccer law. And so so they (laughs) wanted to move forward. And so that's that's actually something the women have from the very beginning. Um, They've created a, a good narrative on the case um, it's a challenging narrative legally, though. They, they say equal pay, but it's hard to define what is equal, um, how much, what is included in pay. Though, you know, both terms are, are difficult. The, 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 in fact, in the settlement, um, this is a classic um, kind of public relations moment more than a settlement because right. this, I, I call this in another interview a non-deal deal They've got a contingency to the settlement on agreeing to collective bargaining agreement. So you know, point one, it's not a settlement until they've got the collective bargaining agreement done. That includes what they say is equal rate of pay on everything, including the World Cup prize money. Well, first of all, equal rate of pay. Rate of pay is uh, the phrase used in the Equal Pay Act, which is one of the um, uh, the claims that they were suing under appealing in the Ninth Circuit. And that was a highly contentious issue. I don't know which way they're going to come down. It's hard to define rate of pay when you're not dealing with something like hourly pay wage, you know, the, just the hourly pay when you're dealing with something where um, the rate of pay, what compensation do you include? Do you include all the prize money? What if the men's World Cup pays $45 million and the women's World Cup pays $4 million? Is, is it percentage of that? How do we define this? So they've now defined in the, in the settlement that we're going to, it's contingent on us reaching a deal that satisfies the term of a vague phrase that has not been resolved in court means that one, we might not have a CBA at all, and therefore there's no settlement. Two, we might have a CBA, but it might be um, that everybody agrees is fine, um, but people may be dissatisfied with what they have resolved as equal rate of pay, right? So it might be symbolically sound good, but in reality, what they agreed to is less than what they claimed they're getting. So it's a a lot of uncertainty, plus uh, to throw out another uh, curveball, Hope Solo commented on the uh, settlement in, in Instagram, uh, and um, she's got a, still got a lawsuit out there on equal pay. So U.S. soccer hasn't even solved its litigation issue if Hope Solo is still planning on pursuing her lawsuit. And it was the lawsuit had been stayed pending the resolution of this case. And if this case is yeah. over, then Hope Solo can go forward, and U.S. soccer hasn't bought lab- litigation piece at all. 
Well, but then it gets, it's against one individual and as opposed to a group of individuals. It, right? It's true, but in terms of the PR side of it, yeah, you know, it's that, still that's, depositions, it's still people at trial, it's all sorts of things that they would you know, prefer to keep off the news. So you know, this, this is the thing, Professor, that I, that, uh, you know, I got a lot of emails, a lot of calls uh, from friends within the soccer world about, you know, people are so afraid to comment on this because to be labeled sexist. Um, and, you know, I have a daughter who plays soccer, um, you know, equal pay. I'm all for it. It seemed that what I did not like about how this all came down was the PR component that you talked about up top, announcing it on Good Morning America. And I felt like uh, sort of, and even in the articles since, sort of misrepresenting the facts, like a lot of things were left out. And I think when I would talk to you about the legal issue, saying, yeah, well, legal is one thing, but emotional is another. And, and it seemed like U.S. soccer was winning on the legal end of things, but losing on the emotional end of things. Even the fact of saying something like the two CBAs that the men and the women agreed to negotiated in good faith, that's a legal term, you might want to look it up. Um, it's, it, they negotiated that settlement. And then once they negotiated it, they tried to change it um, coming back and then accused U.S. soccer of uh, negotiating in bad faith. Well, so I've always maintained that, uh, and, uh, that we haven't really gotten enough facts and we wouldn't until a trial. Um, mm -hmm. There is a absolutely legitimate potential argument that uh, a, in, any, in any labor case like this, that the union agreed to a deal, but the deal, they were pressured into it. They took the best deal they could get, and they weren't given the same kind of um, uh, uh, dis sort of flexibility that the men were, or, or, or they were just outmaneuvered in negotiating, which is not a defense to, um, to an equal pay case, right? So, right. you know, it may be that they really wanted um, the men's deal. That's what they claim. Uh, and they just couldn't get it because U.S. soccer was discriminating against them. So that's always a possibility, and that would have been part of the issue at uh, appeal and then on trial, if the, the appeal was won, was that we were not able to present uh, to the court because of summary judgment. We weren't able to pr pr present to a jury our evidence that we were discriminated against in the negotiating uh, room. So um, the the but the factual part of it is is that the women did have guaranteed salaries and bonuses right. and the men only had bonuses. And it's really hard to compare those two deals because rational people could select one or the other. You want less downside risk. You pick the guaranteed pay and ins health insurance and all sorts of things. If you want uh, um, high, high reward, high risk, you pick the bonus only scheme. So those were two totally plausible ways one could go that don't look like um, one's pressured into the, you know, the other. And the district court judge had found, uh, and he may be wrong, and a jury may find that the evidence shows differently. He found that the, the women's national team players had never deviated from their desire for guaranteed salaries along with the bonuses. And given that, you, you're, you're stuck with two different um, schemes. Now, one interesting part about this settlement is, is they're proposing everything's going to be equal. But I, I haven't heard anything from the women saying we are stopping guaranteed pay, right? Right. The salaries. Right. They have they have said, and and this was part of the deal to amend the expired CBA and and have it go through at least March 31st, that they would no longer do NWSL salaries, which was a separate part of the deal. So and a ten million dollar just lump sum as well, or was that part of the salary structure? The I, that was a I think that's supporting NWSL. I think that's not right in general. Them. So the 
the point is, is that, um, uh, so if the women still have some guaranteed salaries, mm -hmm. um, it's also going to be hard to make that equal. Uh, there's ways to do it. Uh, you could say we're giving each side uh, whatever the cost of the guaranteed salaries they want, say it's $5 million total, say it's $3 million. We're giving each side guaranteed $3 million. The men will use it for bonuses, to fund bonuses or, or higher bonuses. And the, the women will use it for the guaranteed pay. But then we're right back to the beginning where, wait a right. minute, how come the men have different bonuses than the women? Because the women wanted you know, the guaranteed pay and the men wanted the, you know, they didn't want guaranteed pay. So they're using that money for to fund higher bonuses. It becomes really like the, the worry I have is first, there is no CBA deal. Like the men haven't, um, the men's national team player association hasn't come out and said, congratulations. We're really in support of you. And so I'm a little worried. Why haven't they, if they were close, if they were really close, why did they, why didn't they wait to, you know, let's get it done. Yeah. Um, so, the, so there's some worry that there's just no deal yet, and it might not happen. And this is maybe to pressure the men to come up to the deal, but it's not going to, it's not, I don't, I, don't, I don't know if it'll work. The second worry is they agree to a deal, and the deal is a lot less equal than some of the people would like to, um, you know, suggest it is going to be, right. right? So the announcement yesterday is we're gonna have this great equal deal. And then when we find out the details, like, we're well, not so great. And maybe we don't find out the details because they don't publicize them. And so maybe this is a way to have a deal without a, you know, without having to go through the messiness of what is the reality of the facts before this case, which is it's messy to have two different teams with two different um, compensation structures. So right. that's, that's a, it's a quite possible they will agree to a deal We'll have labor peace. And you know what? What else do we, we don't care about the rest. But if anybody is sort of um, depending on that deal uh, to be, you know, that ultimate deal to be like what they consider fair, they may be surprised if, if the, and it turns out we don't know the details, but the details actually are a little less equal than they think, what they right. think the term means <laughs> and the courts might think. Yeah, it seems like they're just trying to end this PR-wise. And just the, and so like you're saying that the expectations with this announcement were pretty high. Um, what I've always felt is most people that I talk to about it are misinformed with all the stuff, like you say, the guaranteed contracts. I'm just talking as a player or as a coach, it's tough to – I think that's going to go away because that's part of, I think, the U.S. Women's National Team's problem has been these – players on the team have guaranteed contracts. And how do you – motivate and how do you you know it's sort of the men don't have the guaranteed contracts and i think that undermines what a coach can do in in picking a roster for his team you look at burhalter on the men's side how many different guys he's brought in and out nobody had a guaranteed anything um you know the women did have the health insurance did have maternity leave did have the guaranteed contracts and the the nwsl contribution so most people in most articles that i had read had never mentioned never mentions those facts just the facts that equal pay and and all of us as fathers uh, of young women are, are, are all for that. So that's why I think it was, I think they made a PR leap that, that ultimately, I guess, kind of has worked out. But what you're saying today is that there's still a long way to go. And I think one of the biggest things that's really is stuck in most people that I've heard from Scraw is the World Cup money, because FIFA awards a certain amount to the men and the whether, you know, however they do it, and a certain amount to the women. Now that's derived from profits made in the global sport. Um, will that be a problem? And, and is that language sort of cutesy legalese? Well, so the, the World Cup prize money, I call it the World Cup prize money puzzle. Um, it is, 
it's more complicated than you even described it. So first of all, um, it's not, it's not, it's arguably not based on revenues per se, because the men and women, um, their TV contracts are bundled by FIFA. So other than like um, ticket sales or something like that, really the big money is, you, you know, a lot of the sponsors are for both. It's, it's a bundled thing. So you can't really even say exactly how much is worth. You can, you can say that the men have more teams, more countries compete in that. But that's, that's FIFA driven a little bit, but here, here's the way it's complicated. So, um, every country that has announced an equal pay deal thus far, Australia, Norway, New Zealand, Brazil, England, um, have done something that is far less than what the women, the U.S. women, I think, are arguing they're going to get. And if they get it, wonderful. But um, they, the puzzle is that, US, that, that FIFA pays to the Federation the prize money for the men's world cup and for the women's world cup. Um, it's not paid to the players. It's, it's paid to the Federation for their efforts in producing a program that achieves success by qualifying or by advancing to various rounds. So um, it's, it, it's definitely true that, that U S soccer could uh, if the, if the U S men's national team and women's national team were, were so fortunate as to win the world cup, both, uh, in, and, and they had uh, the World Cup in the same year, right? And they both won the World Cup. Then U.S. soccer would get a huge pot of money. They could divide it down the middle. They could take out a cut for youth national teams and referees and, you know, whatever things to support overhead. And then they could just pay the players. That's easy. The reason why all those countries I, I named have not done that kind of a deal is because, you know, so Brazil has a deal. Um, and they say, well, it's not equal, it's proportionate. Uh, mm -hmm. So what does that mean? It means that they're getting an equal percentage. Uh, Australia will pay uh, 40% um, of the money they get from FIFA for each team um, for uh, qualifying, 50% if they get to the knockout rounds. Um, what is that of? It's not of the total combined, it's of each tournament. So they're getting, so the Australian women are getting 40% of what they pay, what FIFA pays the women for the Women's World Cup. Mm -hmm. right? uh, um, that's a lot less than what the men's 40% in Australia will be because it's, you know, it's a difference between about like 45 million and, and 4 million or, or 50 and, and 5 million, right. something like that. It's like 10 times more for the men. So paying an equal percentage is not going to satisfy anybody if it's said out loud, right? That doesn't sound equal. But it, they the, all... women, the women went after that though, didn't they want, they wanted that men money from the <laughs> men's world cup, which is a bigger, uh, you know, profit driver. They wanted a, the same percentage of that money not for the women's world cup and i tell you what if i was uh, on the men's side of this uh the cb i would debundle those those uh broadcast rights to say like you know stand on your own sort of thing it, like again for me it seems like it's a little bit um of a title nine mentality and when you come to professional sports or or income you know related thing it's it's definitely in there it's it's like the point and i made this to you before uh when i asked um one of the U.S. national team players, um, I said, well, under that logic, the WNBA should make what the NBA makes based on the same pay for equal, what, you know, pay for play. And they're doing the same job. So why wouldn't they get the same thing? And it's sort of a preposterous argument, but that's what seems to be what's happening uh, a little bit here.
Well, the, it, so here's what it comes down to. I, I'm, I'm not, so I actually think that um, there's no reason why, especially because FIFA bundles the, all this um, social media contracts um, or the TV contracts, yep. um, you know, pay an equal amount for winning the um, uh, Women's World Cup and the Men's World Cup, same as they do in a lot of tennis tournaments, you know, they're going on simultaneously. A couple problems. Yeah. One is that they occur in different years. And so there's sort of different times in which they occur when, when, when the money comes in. Um, the, the problem for the federation, for U.S. soccer, is that uh, if U.S. soccer promised to pay half of what it gets to the women and half of what it gets to the men, and the men don't qualify for the World Cup as they did not in 2018, right. and the women are giving away half of the money that they earned to the men, sure. not a great deal. If the men qualify and the women uh, don't, you know, the men are giving away half of what they earned. Um, now, in both cases, I think there's, you know, the argument is, is slightly bogus. Neither of them earned the money. The Federation earned the money by setting them up starting at age three in, you know, yeah. curriculum that they set up and fields that they funded and referees that they trained and whatever it is. Um, there is a, I actually think there's a neat solution for FIFA that I'm sort of shocked that they haven't pursued, which is, um, FIFA could say, well, okay, so we're paying like a total of around 55 million. We'll do it equally. Let's pay 20 million to each. And you start saying, wait a minute, what happened to the other 15 million? FIFA yeah. keeps it, right? FIFA right. calls it a development fund. It's kind of a slush fund. I mean, that's classic FIFA, right? We're going to keep more money, pay less to you, and we'll use the other money to, you know, for political favors. And I'm sort of shocked that why does FIFA care about paying more to the men than the women? They could get a, a PR bump from it and make money on the side. That's usually FIFA's approach. Oh, no, don't tell him this, Professor. My goodness. The FIFA's the, you know, like the evil step twin there, man, with all the decisions they make. And it's a pretty sexist culture over there. And we look at how we're sort of, we hope that we think we're a little bit more advanced here. Certainly the women's national team, I think they're the best funded team in the world. Um, also, you know, uh, again, with Title IX and college and, and the developments that they have, uh, they, the, the competition has not been there as it is on the men's side. So that's sort of apples and oranges too. Um, but it seems like uh, we have more to come. This is, this is not the end, really. I think you're, you're referring to it. You know, it's, yeah, it's, so there's still a ways to go. The, so just a, a one point of the timing. So the timing of the announcement of this, it, it yeah. means you avoid the oral argument on March 7th, um, which is a good thing, right? You avoid legal fees. So that's one reason to do this now. Um, it also means that it's solved in th theory. It seems solved, uh, to yeah. quote unquote, uh, for purposes of the March 5th presidential election for U.S. soccer. And that's oh, right. probably good for Cindy Cowan. Um, <laughs> follow the money, follow the politics. Um, oh. But uh, there, there's another deadline along the, the way, which is, you know, U.S. soccer and the Women's National Team Player Association extended the CBA until March 31st um, with under the new terms. It's not actually a true deadline, March 31st, because a CBA automatically extends uh, until a new CBA is agreed to. So there's not, it's not like there's a deadline. The deadline would be on the NWSL contracts, the amended portion of it. Um, it's like the old CBA would continue if they, if they don't continue the amendment. But, um, but March 31st is a deadline, so in a sense. So you might have some resolution. I think certainly Cone and the women's national team are working really hard, I'm sure, to get something done before that date. The problem is, is I'm not sure how, what, why is that a deadline for the men's national team? Because their deal has been expired right. for years and they've been operating under an old CBA for years and years. And so uh, um, they are, you know, they, they don't have a particular motivation 
other than they can get a better deal than what they had. And remember, for them right. to agree to a new deal might worsen their payouts, not increase them. So hopefully they're just, they're just basically sitting it out right now and just sort of seeing, well, let the dust settle on the women's side and then, then they'll go in. I'm, you know, what everything we've read and Becky Sauerbrunn addressed mm -hmm. this in a press conference yesterday that the men have been great in terms of being at the meetings and, and mm -hmm. that's, that's a new development. Just having them at the same, the same table or metaphorical table, if they're doing it on zoom is a good thing. Um, so I, I'm assuming you know, when I, this first came out, I was just assuming they must be almost done on the CBAs because yeah. they would never, you know, a lawyer would never tell them, tell them we got the agreement done, you know, send it out there. Like, why would you do that? Um, yeah. So hopefully that's the case. But, but the fact that we have not had any official, even congratulatory announcement from the men. And they were quick to do that in the past, the last yeah, couple of times. It does worry me a little yeah. bit. Really or, or it's a, or it's a, um, it's a deal. Like, yes, they've got a deal coming, but nobody wants to talk too much about it because it's not as, as good as it sounds. Well, All right. Well, I, I tell you, it's, it's, well, it's ongoing. We'll see what happens. Um, you know, but it's, uh, it's like I said, uh, we'll, we'll have you back because I think we're going to have more on this. And I think you talked about that March date. So that should be interesting. And, and hopefully look, Soccer's gotten a, a black eye from this, and it's uh, unfortunate because, look, as a as a person who played and came up, it was always everybody was always throwing slings at soccer anyway um, back in the day. That's why I thought it was so interesting that these um, the college problems that they had with uh, you know for they were on the crew team for Stanford, Stanford and Yale, the soccer coach. I said after all the things football and basketball have done as far as recruiting, here soccer gets caught holding the bag. It's like oh my goodness, you know what what's the stuff that went under the radar. Um, so it seems like people are always trying to throw rocks at soccer anyway. And so this was uh, not great for the sport. And so hopefully the men and women uh, both win the World Cup this round and uh, they all make some money and everybody's happy and we can move forward in this country. Um, so love to have you back, Professor. Uh, you always help us make sense with this stuff. Um, it's, uh, I'm actually, I smile when I'm actually dialing in uh, into a lawyer, which is a rare, rare occurrence. Um, but we appreciate you for helping us to make sense of all this. And uh, please keep us posted uh, on any updates and anything that, that come along uh, the way here. Absolutely. I'll be uh, watching it closely. All right. Professor Stephen Banks from UCLA School of Law. Thank you so much for joining us on this special edition of OTB, where we're trying to make sense of the collective bargaining agreement and this whole uh, deal with, with the Federation. Uh, that's all the time we have today. Uh, talk to us next week, Monday, on our next podcast. We're going to sit down with Julie Foudy, uh, former uh, U.S. Women's National Team great, and uh, she, she'll, she'll give us uh, her side. She always makes a lot, of, uh, a lot of great sense, not like the professor with his legalese, but, uh, you know, Julie will talk more about, you know, how they got here. So, all right, that's all the time on OTB. We'll talk to you next time, everyone.